There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm so glad you have tuned in. I'm Debbie George Addis. Love talking to you every Sunday about America. This first five tonight, I want to talk about the Inspector General's report. I know you've probably been reading a lot about it and hearing a lot about it. I want to just tell you one major misconception, which I want to straighten out. But then I want to talk about how important and consequential this Inspector General's report is. This is a report conducted, prepared, delivered on this past Thursday by the Inspector General Michael Horowitz. And his, this is a, an inspection related to the Department of Justice. And to be very clear, it's just his inspection, his, his report, related to one particular allegation of wrongdoing inside the Department of Justice. And this has to do with how the investigation inside the FBI was conducted as it relates to Hillary Clinton's email server scandal. This is nothing, he hasn't even gotten to the point of reporting yet about the FISA warrants and about the uh, Russian dossier. All that is yet to come. This is just one report, 568 pages, just about the Department of Justice. And the misconception I want to correct is, and I even tweeted a, a mistaken tweet about this, is that the report, after recounting hundreds of pages revealing bias, political bias, failure to follow procedures, insubordination, just a, a laundry list of after a detailed investigation by this uh, inspector general, at the very conclusion, there's a summary that said, I, that was reported to have said that there was no conclusion that political bias occurred. That is not correct. This report does not state that there is no conclusion that political bias existed. What it said was there was a, and I'm going to tell you the exact language, it said there was no, the inspector general did not find documentary or testimonial evidence directly connecting the political views these employees expressed um, with their specific investigative decisions that they reviewed. He's basically saying nobody he interviewed and nothing he read in reviewing text messages, emails, etc., had any employee of the Department of Justice expressly saying, I am writing this down and I am conducting my investigation with uh, on Hillary Clinton because I have political bias in favor of her and against Donald Trump. I mean, it was almost an idiotic sentence to put anywhere in there, especially in the context of the whole report. The context of the whole report shows, and in fact, a good conclusion of it is, a good description of it, was uh, was prepared by Kimberly Strassel in the Wall Street Journal. If you go to our website, americachemitalk.org, we have these links up. But she basically said you could gel down 568 pages by describing James Comey's conduct uh, as involving insubordination and the conduct of literally... Uh, at least dozen, more than dozen people inside the Department of Justice and the FBI who who were engaged in extreme political bias against President Trump and in favor of Hillary Clinton. 
And, you know, this, folks, I mean, this report is being digested so massive. I did want to tell you the reaction of one very, very uh, accomplished, knowledgeable person, a former uh, U.S. attorney. Uh, She's been on this show numerous times. She's speaking everywhere these days. She's an expert everywhere. Her name is Sidney Powell. But her conclusion from just this report, and I'm going to go into more detail about what the report said, but the conclusion she reached is this inspector general's report related to the Department of Justice reveals the need for a criminal obstruction of justice investigation of both the FBI and the Department of Justice. Now, I tell you, many conservatives are loath to express the desire for any more special counsels, any more, you know, uh, any any new special counsel. And Mueller is making a mess of America for the last year and a half. But even Sidney Powell is saying this is so bad what was uncovered. And what was uncovered was really a just ongoing attitude of disdain for President Trump, uh, just worshipful support of Hillary Clinton. The assumption Hillary Clinton, of course, would win because how could she not win? But throughout the conduct of the investigation of Hillary Clinton, there was um, in the uh, there was such bad behavior that the Sydney Powell suggesting that I do want to explain the insubordination thing a little bit. Just one little piece of this. And that is that if you all remember back in July, right after July 4th of 2016, James Comey, head of the FBI, goes on national television to announce that he is uh, he's revealing the outcome of his investigation of Hillary Clinton and the email server. And he basically went through and she and she did this and she did this and she broke this law and she endangered national security secrets, blah, 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 blah. And then he said at the end, and by the way, no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute her. Well, one basis of the, the term insubordination tied to James Comey is that he did not have authority to make the decision to do that press conference, to do it, or to announce in that press conference that he was going to, that he essentially concluding for America, echoing Obama's words, you know, there's no reasonable prosecutor would investigate this. This is no big deal. Let it all go. He was required within his own job to go to his superiors at Department of Justice, and he didn't do it. And that alone was a profound insubordination, a determined mission to support Hillary. We come back and I'll tell you what these DOJ folks think of you, the Trump voters. Come right back. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. 
the freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us now? The soul of freedom. And welcome back to America Can We Talk? I'm Debbie Georgettis. I'm so glad you've tuned in. This Inspector General's report is a great, like, an almost like an educational opportunity for us in, in America. And I mean that actually sincerely because we think in America, and we should think, that our government, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Department of Justice, should be about the business of applying the laws of America to everyone equally, to having actual nonpartisan, unbiased conduct of their various jobs within the federal government. What we learned this week from the Inspector General's report is that the people conducting investigation into the wrongdoing, the allegation that Hillary Clinton had used an unsecured server during her um, uh, during uh, the time that she was Secretary of State endangered national security secrets, those people doing that investigation 
had decided at the outset that there was just was not going to be a prosecution of this woman because, after all, she was headed to the White House. And so you better be careful how you deal with her. In fact, one little tidbit among many things in this Inspector General's report uh, was a, um, an email, a note, actually, in preparation to, uh, for, to interview Hillary Clinton as part of the criminal probe Lisa Page, this one who is having an affair with Peter Stroke and their text messages have become legendary. Page told a handful of her colleagues to take it easy on Hillary Clinton. Here's her words. Lisa Page, one more thing. She might be our next president. The last thing you need us going, the last thing you need is us going in there loaded for bear. Kind of saying, you better be nice because she's going to be president. Everyone knows this is just a sham investigation. We're just playing a game. And the other thing I wanted, I mentioned, you know, there was a, um, there was a lot of talk this week, and I, I want to hit a lot of this, uh, not just in today's show, but going forward in other shows. What we learned in this Inspector General's report, because he came forward with all sorts of information that the Congress, the House Intelligence and the Senate Intelligence Select Committees, been trying to get information from the FBI and the Department of Justice. You know, been and we talked about this last week on the show. Been blocked, been been uh, stonewalled, been you know. Uh, in fact, the allegation was been actually threatened. But um, what the um, what we saw in this Inspector General report, and let me say one other preliminary thing about this Inspector General report. This is not a report. That you of the kind you might ex- inspect, expect if you had, for example, hired a private investigator or hired someone whose mission was to dig in and find wrongdoing. That is not the mindset of this inspector general. Inspectors general, which are existent um, all or nearly all of the federal agencies, are there to be monitors of people's behavior, to be to be uh, making sure the law is being followed, procedures are being followed, to make sure people who are we entrust with our tax dollars and, and significant responsibility are, fo- are doing what they're supposed to do. But the report is not supposed to be written in a sensationalized way, and it's really, it's, its mission is not to expose conduct leading to potential criminal charges. Its mission is to review behavior tied back to what the uh, the behavior expected was to, out of these particular people in these agencies and report shortcomings. It has a soft-pedaled tone to it. It has a careful tone to it. It isn't worded the way it would be if you or I had the opportunity to see firsthand how bad the conduct was within the Department of Justice and we're writing uh, something to encourage prosecution. That is not this guy's mission. And, and it's important to understand that because he does soft pedal many, many things he concludes. But one thing that came out that I think is just really telling was it was a um, an exchange of emails between these two lovers, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who were just in the middle of this entire investigation. In fact, I wanted to tell you Peter Strzok's title at this time. I think I had it right here, but in any case... Peter Strzok wrote um, that they have text. They're talking about text messages ranging from vile insults of Trump and his supporters, fears about how awful a Trump presidency would be and the need to prevent a Trump presidency. One uh, presidency, one employee said Trump voters were and here's the quote, all poor to middle class, uneducated, lazy 
P-O-S. And you, if you adults listen, you know what that stands for. But this is how people are talking inside the FBI about people who voted for Trump. I mean, there was a, um, the, the entire the tone of the uh, Inspector General's report, even though he's careful, even though he's not writing like a prosecutor would, was just recounting uh, ex- evidence and, ex- and experience and incident after incident of just conduct that was just massively biased, massively determined to undermine President Trump in his quest for the presidency and to support Hillary Clinton which meant in this particular case with the inspector general's looking into, you know, her uh, email server scandal to basically make sure that nothing wrong is found. Uh, so with respect to FBI Director Comey, um, who was later fired, as you know, by President Trump, um, James Comey, um, uh, he's, fa- he's faulted in, the, in this report for making serious errors of in- for judgment, for having concealed information from superiors, violation or disregard for departmental and bureau policies. I mean, the guy deserved to be fired. What was uncovered was just a massive, ongoing, uh, just disdain for this president. And I want to play something for you. I believe we have the clip ready. This is when President Trump, it actually looks like he's, sitting, he's standing on the White House lawn and a reporter caught up with him and asked him about this Inspector General report. This is that clip one, Greg, if we have it. The IG report came out yesterday. The FBI looks bad. Very bad. Your FBI. Well, no, it's, it was Comey. I mean, they were talking about Comey, not my FBI. It was Comey. The people in the FBI are incredible. I would bet if you took a poll in the FBI, I would win that poll by more than anybody's ever won a poll. But the top people were horrible. You look at what happened. They were plotting against my election. Probably has never happened like that in terms of uh, intelligence, in terms of anything else. Right. But they were actually plotting against my election. The headline right so, now is... But I'm actually proud because... I beat Clinton dynasty. Right. I beat Bush dynasty. And now, I guess, hopefully I'm in the process of beating very dishonest intelligence because what they did was incredible and a real insult to millions of people that voted in that election on both sides. The headline right now from the uh, Wall Street Journal, DOJ Clinton report blasts Comey and agents but finds no bias in conclusion. Well, the end result was wrong. I mean, there was total bias. I mean, when you look at Peter Strzok and what he said about me, when you look at Comey, all his moves. So I guess, you know, it's interesting. It was a pretty good report. And then I say that the IG blew it at the very end with that statement, because when you read the report, it was almost like Comey. He goes point after point about how guilty Hillary is. Mm -hmm. And then he said, but we're not going to do anything about it. Uh, The report, the IG report, was a horror show. I thought that one sentence of conclusion was ridiculous. Okay, and that's the one I mentioned at the start of the show. That was the one sentence where really that question didn't ask well what the report said, which is it said there was no documentary documentary or testimonial evidence of bias. Well, of course, no one said, yes, by the way, Mr. Inspector General, since you're asking me, I did everything I did because of political bias. I wrote or did or didn't act or did act based. I mean, it was a silly, it was a poor sentence to be in there, but it doesn't, the report did not conclude no bias. I guess I want to hit uh, two last things on this. This is just the beginning of this discussion about what we're learning the Inspector General's report. There are many people pouring through it, deciding what to do. Several things, other things that came out, I just want to quickly mention, the report finds a wider culture of FBI and Department of Justice um, 
just um, attitude uh, that is most a, a culture that is very alarming. Uh, it talks about, for example, a former assistant attorney general, Peter Kadzik, tipping off the Clinton campaign, even as he took part in the investigation. I mean, this this is stuff you just cannot do. Uh, Loretta Lynch is criticized heavily for her conduct uh, in this. Uh, and then actually, as I go back to James Comey, r- repeatedly criticized, uh, he hid his scheme to exonerate Hillary from his superiors because he knew that if he told them, you know, I'm going to make a speech basically exonerating her, they might say, actually, you don't really, that's not really your job. Um, anyway, so I, I urge you to read, uh, especially the Kim- Kimberly Strassel piece, but much more about this. But the last point I want to make about this tonight is this, because I got to turn to another. I actually want to turn to Paul Manafort, a related story after the break. But I want to just tell you something really important about this. The attitude you see uh, you hear you just it just screams off the pages of the report of the text messages and the emails is an attitude of a ruling elite class that does not think you the american people are smart enough to make the right decision in choosing a president doesn't think you're smart enough to know what you need to know what you think is important to stand up for what you believe in this is that ruling elite class attitude that pervades in so much of washington frankly the existence of that attitude is a big reason president trump won people are saying i am sick of this attitude i'm sick of the the, the feeling that we try to say what we think. We try to weigh in on campaigns and on issues, and the government doesn't listen to us. So we're going to go off to a break. I'm going to tell you what's happening with Paul Manafort, but I'm first going to get one more point after the break about this ruling elite class attitude. It's everywhere, and it's un-American. Debbie George S., America Can We Talk. Come right back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more 
and start saving lives today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Welcome back to American Can We Talk. Okay, if you're watching on Facebook Live, thank you for doing that. If you saw my face, get really close to the camera. Try and fix the light. I hope that worked. Anyway, uh, hello, and thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. You know, on this Inspector General report, I want to hit two more points because this is the kind of thing I think people look back at in the future and say, you know, once we learn these things that were wrong that were, and we know they were happening, we're not just speculating. And this is a lot of, you know, it's, I have to say one thing about this Inspector General report. It validates a great deal of what President Trump and his supporters have been saying about the FBI and the Department of Justice for months and months, that this is not a neutral agency. And this is why it's so troubling is we don't have another agency that we can turn to to take over if the Department of Justice has lost the culture of uh, the rule of law, has lost the culture of following the law and being unbiased. There isn't some other agency we can substitute in. We need the FBI to be the FBI and the Department of Justice. And so we need to take every step we can imagine, uh, we can think of, to bring this agency back in line. And so I, I mentioned that Sidney Powell had written a piece about just what this Inspector General report says means we need to have an investigation of the FBI, Department of Justice itself. But I want to hit uh, one uh, quick other three points, and then I want to turn to Paul Manafort, who is, as we speak, sitting in jail. Compared with Hillary Clinton, who's going out and getting awards for being a good citizen, I kid you not. 
But the other point I want to make is, you know, there was a, in this inspector general report, there was an acknowledgement that, um, and it's ex- uh, text exchanges between Lisa Page and Peter Stroke. He basically, the hostility against the idea, this is during the campaign, so Trump not even president, hasn't won yet. Uh, during the campaign, Lisa Stroke sent him something, and she's having a freak out about what the idea, what if Trump wins the presidency? And Peter Stroke's answer to her, no, period, no, he won't, period, we'll stop it. Okay, that's, and then another Last point about just keep in mind this inspector general report going forward is going to matter how well we act as citizens to uh, correct the problems it is revealing. One other great point that was made by several commentators was Comey's, even the very late decision he made, remember late in 2016, where he opened up the investigation again, pointing out that these emails had appeared on Anthony Weiner's computer and they were emails that came from Huma Abedin, who was uh, Hillary Clinton's right-hand person and also Anthony Weiner's wife at the time. And so the Southern District of New York, a U.S. attorney's office, had contacted the FBI to say, hey, we're looking through Weiner's uh, laptop here based on charges he's facing, and we've discovered that on this laptop are Hillary Clinton emails as well as information from her BlackBerry. This is a huge thing that came out in the Inspector General report is that contact was made in early September, and the Department of Justice just sat on it. I mean, the FBI just sat on it. They didn't respond. They didn't say, oh, my gosh, we'll be right there. We'll take a look. Let's let's figure out what's going on. They tried to sit on it. They tried to stall it out, stall till after the election. And it was only repeated requests by that, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Southern District of New York, saying, hey, this is pretty serious. This is an investigation y'all are doing. We're telling you we have evidence right here in front of us. And finally, they decided, okay, we have to look into that. So Comey you know, made his announcement, sends a letter to Congress. I know I said this was over, but now this has come up. We've got to look into it. But what this Inspector General report makes clear is that Comey did that to just protect the integrity of Hillary Clinton's presidency, to protect its, you know, it, to, its legitimacy. So he could say, look, yeah, we even had last minute. We looked into it. They tried to stall it. They got forced into it. And this idea of the inspection that was done at that point was just to project, protect the legitimacy of Hillary Clinton's presumed presidency. And one astonishing thing, and I can't believe I didn't catch this before, but apparently James Comey testified that one reason, or he stated, I guess, to this inspector general, one reason he didn't go forward and jump quickly to look at Anthony Weiner's laptop after getting contacted by the Southern District of New York uh, U.S. Attorney's Office. You, I, I mean, I hope you're sitting down. He said, I didn't realize that Huma Abedin was married to Anthony Weiner. Okay, like, I, I mean, I think like ev- everyone knows this, everyone who follows politics. Huma Abedin, right-hand person still to today Hillary, to, with Hillary Clinton, married to Anthony Weiner, and Comey's trying to say, well, that's one reason I didn't jump, because I, I didn't realize they were married. Okay, yeah, I, I, I can't even say anything further. The last thing I want to say, though, about this elite, elitism attitude that just just screams off the pages of this report. All these people in the Department of Justice and FBI just, you know, too highfalutin, too, you know, uh, just just too certain of their smug attitude of who should win the presidency. Can't believe that people would um, 
you know, support a president or a potential president like Donald Trump when they could have the great Hillary Clinton. This elitism thing, it pervades many levels of politics. It pervades politics and the, uh, and the attitude of elitism and you rabble rousing, you know, conservative activists, you grassroots, you Tea Party people, just be quiet. We'll run the country. We'll tell you when things matter. We'll tell you what matters. You're wrong when you're concerned about things and you need to just stop fussing with us. You need to just be quiet. This is really the attitude that comes across. And this elitism, I'm telling you, is what it really helped President Trump win. People are sick of that attitude, sick of the attitude that the grassroots will be told, you know, yes, you can help us. You can knock on doors and make phone calls and send in checks. But don't be thinking you can run for office. Don't be thinking you can challenge an incumbent. And don't be thinking that your views matter on substantive issues. Don't be thinking that you're going to give ideas, that you're going to try to hold elected officials accountable. It's this whole elitism attitude that has no place in America, but it had gotten roots in uh, in federal government and, and had deep roots. And so I think it's part of what President Trump um, in his campaign unearthed, that sense of Come on, you know, this is America and every in America we have we the people govern America and we the people are in charge and we the people are going to be in charge. So anyway, um, there, it was, it's a huge story. We'll be following it. More things will happen. I had to mention I want to take a moment to mention about Paul Manafort and uh, what's happened to him. He uh, was caught up. He, he briefly was a campaign manager for President Trump uh, in his campaign. Very short period of time. Long, long term businessman. And during this investigation by Robert Mueller, appoint special counsel Mueller, he, uh, Mueller uh, uncovered and, and Manafort is one of the people he's filed charges against. Now, again, Mueller is supposed to be there to figure out if there was collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians in bringing about the 2016 presidential election results. As we sit here today, we're in June of 2018. Zero, zip, not a evidence of any collusion of any kind. However, Mueller came across and discovered some wrongdoing by Manafort, alleged wrongdoing in some business deals, and he's charged him with um, all sorts of things. Now, he's actually been charged twice. He's been charged in federal court. No, it's three times and maybe even four. But he's been charged in the Washington, D.C. federal court for money laundering, failing to register as a foreign agent, which is normally a hand slap offense, and making false statements to investigators. Separately, he was charged in a Virginia federal court with tax fraud, bank fraud, and failing to report foreign bank accounts. That last third of those also being one that's usually hand slap, say, hurry up and fill out your forms. But Manafort, while he's awaiting trial on these issues, uh, was discovered or claimed to have been by, by uh, Mueller, claimed that Manafort had been violating the terms of his release because he's, he posted bail. He's on release until his trial, which is set for September, that he had been engaged in trying to contact witnesses, alleged witness tampering. So he has been put in jail as of last Friday. Bail revoked, uh, char- charge of witness tampering, and sent to jail by an Obama-appointed judge, uh, Amy, I think it's Amy Bremer Jackson, something like that. Yeah, Amy Berman Jackson, Obama judge sent him to jail, um, and this at the same time, so she's a D.C. federal judge. At the same time, the 
uh, Virginia federal court judge, T.S. Ellis, has been criticizing the Mueller team for just saying, basically, you're just going after this guy because you think he's going to turn on Trump for you. So the reason I want to mention this today is that Alan Dershowitz, who's, you know, a well-known liberal, but he's really a guy who's just committed to the core of his being, to committed to the Constitution, to civil rights, to our American system of justice, and he has attacked the jailing of Manafort as obnoxious to our Constitution. I think this is one of the articles we posted at America Can We Talk, but Alan Dershowitz has been very clear saying that sending Manafort to jail for this, for a, a couple of apparent contacts, is an affront to our Constitution. Um, he, hasn't been, he said he's as innocent as you or I. It was a very harsh condemnation by liberal Alan Dershowitz of this Obama judge sending Manafort to jail. And I tell you, folks, this kind of stuff, well, Hillary Clinton, who we know did no, no denial on her part, she had, an un, she had her whole server set up circumventing the entire security of the national system, Nothing happens to her except for going over to uh, Harvard and getting awards for being a good citizen. Almost unbearable. Okay, when we come back, we're going to hit the DACA amnesty setup coming up next. Don't go away. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families 
by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, folks, I think I'm done. I think I'm done on the Inspector General report, except to say, do not underestimate how much this matters. And just imagine how hysterical the media in this country, the mainstream media, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, all the big news outlets would be if there had been discovered at the heart and the core of the Department of Justice and the FBI an ongoing visceral hatred of the guy on their side, of Hillary Clinton, of Barack Obama, of anyone on the American left. They would be out of their minds. What we've uncovered in the Inspector General report, you can see in the left already saying, oh, well, look, the conclusion was no political bias. And again, get that talking point down. They did not conclude no political bias. They concluded, can't find anyone who wrote it down or said it out loud in a statement. So we can't say there's no testimonial or written evidence, which is not the same as, of course, I mean, the report just, it screams political bias. And this is the kind of thing, folks, it not just that is bad and unfair to our president and to his voters and to our country, but it begins to undermine faith and trust in the system of law, the rule of law, the sanctity of the rule of law, especially as we now are watching Hillary Clinton, as I say, off at Harvard getting some stupid award for citizenship, like you can hardly believe it, and Paul Manafort, who may or may not have done wrong things. I'm not particularly defending Paul Manafort. You know, he may have uh, violated those laws. I I don't know. They're unrelated in any degree. They have no relation to the reason Mueller got appointed to be a special prosecutor, nothing to do about the Russian alleged collusion with the uh, Trump team to bring, to you know, impact the 2016 election results. Nothing like that. This is digging into his conduct 10 years ago, his business conduct. I don't know if it's criminal or not. I really don't know. But I do know that the bias that he's sitting in jail uh, over something like this because of the Mueller investigation to start with getting going, 
it, it's it's just extraordinary. Okay, now I'm really done. I do want to hit one of the story because it's kind of amazing. You know, if you sit back and ask yourself, what would you say if someone said, what are the top three reasons that you think that President Trump won the presidential election in 2016? Like top three points, three, you know, just driving issues. Certainly security of the border. Certainly, re, re, you know, just getting a, a hold of our immigration system would have to be in almost everyone's top three. I mean, there was bringing back jobs, you know, love for America, America first, you know, strong national defense. They're all kind of, you know, they have that, they, if anything, if there's, if there's a theme to it all, it's preserving and upholding America. That's what his election was about. But what is happening right now is, and I, I truly, I do actually ask myself this all the time, do the rep- elected Republicans in Congress, do they not see the same results the rest of us saw from the 2016 election. Because what's happening right now, you know that the expression DACA, the acronym DACA, D-A-C-A, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, it's basically an executive order, and a completely unconstitutional executive order by President Obama that basically said if you came into the country as a small child because your parents brought you in and you didn't really, so you didn't intend to cross the border and you, so you're here in America, but you have no legal status. He, President Obama, had asked Congress numerous times to please pass a law that gave DACA people amnesty, gave amnesty to these people. And Congress could never pass it because it's not popular with the American people. The American voters do not like the concept of amnesty. We learned this from the 20, from, from back from 1986 from President Reagan's amnesty. All amnesty ever does is flood the borders with more people coming across to become American citizens. So DACA happened. President Obama, who had previously said he had no authority under the Constitution, he liked to fix it himself, but he can't. He issued the executive order. He leaves office. President Trump comes in and says, you know what, this isn't constitutional. And really, no constitutional scholar is arguing otherwise. Everyone knows it's not constitutional. Trump says, we're done with this. Uh, they go through court. They, Trump gave the Congress six months to come up with something, to come up with some proposal because it should be a legislative solution, not a court-imposed and not an executive order solution. It's a policy question. These need to go through Congress. So Congress has been struggling to come up with some answer. As we mentioned in this show many times, and I urge you, just Google, if you haven't looked at this, the Goodlatte bill. Goodlatte's a member of Congress, a Republican from Virginia. His last name, I'll even spell it for you, is G-O-O-D-L-A-T-T-E. The Goodlatte bill is the bill that the uh, Republicans came up with. It was a compromise. It was a compromise bill uh, that basically was just, it has a bunch of provisions, uh, but basically says, you know, uh, you can't, these DACA people get to get a permanent status and stay here. They're not, they're not going to be in limbo whether they're allowed to be here. They can travel, which they're currently not permitted to do, but so they have this ongoing status. They have to register every three years, but they, it does not give them a special path to citizenship. It says, if you want to be a citizen, you need to get in line like everybody else on the planet who might want to come to America and become a citizen. So the, the Goodlatte bill was put out there. It gave a break. It protected all these DACA people. The Democrats rejected it. So now we're down to the point where we have, I think I was talking about last week. I can't remember if I do it in this show or another show I did. I think this show I was talking about, you know, the um, 
the, the idea that the Republicans were getting nervous about not getting DACA solved before the fall. And I'm a t- so anyway, where we are now is that a bunch of Republicans, uh, or, or say, say a few Republicans, joined, you know, locked elbows with the Democrats and said, we're going to force some bill to the floor of the House. We're going to override the desire, the plan by the GOP majority, by by the GOP leadership. We're going to override the committee that has jurisdiction on this issue. We're overriding it all. We're going to force some bill to the floor. So if you want, you, leadership, don't like the Goodlap bill, you don't like what the Democrats have come up with, come up with some other compromise bill. So that has happened. The, uh, there are now enough Republicans who got on board and the Democrats pushing it. So there's going to be a vote this coming week, apparently on Tuesday, a vote related to what to do about DACA. The two choices going to the floor of the U.S. House, one is the Goodlap bill. And the Goodlap bill, as I said, it, 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 I didn't say this, let me say it now. The Goodlap bill does just about everything you would want. It's, I, I got to not call it by the name. It's not the Goodlap bill. It's got a name to it. It's, it's SAF, I think, is the acronym. But anyway, um, the basic thing of it is it goes through, uh, it funds the border wall. It uh, ends chain migration. It, so no more bringing your 18 you know, cousins Six, you know, your third cousin six times removed. No, no more bringing everybody here. You know, it ends chain migration. Um, it, it makes uh, E-Verify mandatory. Employers have to make sure they're only hiring legal people. It, it fixes, it reduces the number of people coming. It reduces immigration. It solves just about everything. And so the Democrats hated it. And even it's kind of funny because it met some of their original demands and but the Democrats won't go with it. So the other bill that is now the alleged compromise bill that is on the floor, it's a compromise immigration legislation. It will protect the dreamers. It will give them actually uh, 1.8 million dreamers can apply for a non-immigrant status to start with a non-immigrant status to start with. And then uh, if they're and this is for most of them and that but to qualify, they have to have a, a high school diploma or else a GED, and they have to be under 36 years of age. But these conditional visas, these non-immigrant visas, uh, will eventually allow them to ultimately apply. If they win that non-immigrant status, stay here for six years, don't get arrested, um, they can apply for a green card, and that sets them in the path to citizenship. So this compromise bill gives DACA people eventually a path to citizenship. But the trade-off is this bill, the compromise bill, also fully funds the wall. So Democrats have to decide, are we going to go with this bill that is going to give the money to the wall so it's going to get built, um, or and but we'll take it because we get these DACA people on the path to citizenship. Neither bill makes either party perfectly happy. The Goodlatte bill, which, uh, by the way, friend texted, is called, the Goodlatte's called Securing America's Future Act. Yeah. So thank you very much for texting me, my friend. Okay. So it is an interesting thing because what I wanted to say about this, these bills are, I could read all the provisions, but I don't want to get overly detailed, but there is an opportunity for the these two bills. They will go to the floor of the House this week. Republicans and Democrats have to decide what to do with them. In a way, and on, on the one hand, these bills are coming to the floor because some Republicans were not comfortable saying it's the Goodlatte bill or nothing. 
They weren't comfortable with that. They didn't like that the DACA people can't get a path to citizenship under under the uh, Goodlatte bill. That they they if they really want citizenship, they have to go back to, to and get in line like anybody else. They they don't get a special um, special status. They can't move quickly towards citizenship. And so this you know, the bills as they will go to the floor. I mean, the the Democrats would like just open amnesty for everybody, anyone who's wandering the country, unless they're hardened criminal, they would give them citizenship instantly because that's what they think is amnesty citizenship is the answer. And Republicans want to have a more orderly uh, system of immigration. I strongly prefer the Goodlatte bill because, in part, it reduces, it, it, it deals more comprehensively with all the shortcomings and the messes in the middle of Im- this immigration problem. It doesn't just... In, uh, solve a little piece of it but those two bills will be on the floor but my real takeaway i want to share with you and just if you are look at these if you want to, if you communicate with your congressman if you if you text or email whatever you do to con- communicate with your congressman the bill's probably not going to go it's, it's not going to become law either one even if they pass the house it will not become law because the Democrats, I mean, excuse me, because the Senate is not about to take this bill up. The Senate is not going to do anything that President Trump won't sign. So the Senate and the Senate's always a stumbling block. The Republicans have a bare majority. And so they're not going to want to move the bill forward anyway. But the real reason that it's so important to pay attention to this bill and to insist on what's fair and right is that the entire purpose of Democrat desire for amnesty, for making people legal who have no legal status here, is to get them onto the voter rolls as fast as they can. This is the mission of the Democrat Party on all immigration issues. Flood the voter rolls with new people who have no idea what the American experiment liberty is, and they'll for sure think the Democrats be future Democrat voters Gotta go off to a break. Love talking to you on Sunday evening. Please come back after the break. We're going to hit Father's Day. California wants to be three states, a whole bunch more. Come right back.